Hello and welcome to the Busyness Podcast. My name is Emily Austin. I'm the founder and CEO of a London-based PR agency called Emerge. I'm passionate about launching and scaling small businesses and have been fortunate enough in my 13-year career to work with some of the most exciting, category-defining brands in the world. I started my business when I was 22 years old, fresh out of university. Since that time, the world has got louder. Our expectations have become greater and our lives have become busier. Fobbing friends off with the stock answer we've all become accustomed to, I'm so busy, is an attempt to compel, conflate and convince. But when did being too busy become a mark of status? Why is the goal to never have any free time? And just what the fuck is everyone doing? Are we setting unrealistic expectations for future entrepreneurs and business owners by encouraging them that a maniacal approach to diarising is the standard? This podcast aims to give you a realistic, detailed insight into the honest stories, the failures, the triumphs, the intricacies, the mistakes, the comebacks, the fuck-ups from those set to make their mark, the leaders, movers and shakers, trailblazers and game changers. We cover imposter syndrome, hiring and firing, call-out culture, anxiety, global growth, daily routines and knowing when to quit, choosing the best in the busyness to help you cut through the noise and optimise your success. This week on the podcast, I get to bring you the wonderful Akash Mehta, who is, amongst other things, founder of Fable and Maine, which is an incredible hair care business. He graduated from Imperial College in electric engineering and has worked for companies within LVMH, Dior. He's also done campaign work for Peter and is currently the global guardian for UNICEF. He is undoubtedly incredibly busy, but he took time out of his schedule to chat to me a little bit more about his family uh, business. He runs the company with his sister. He talked about getting investment from his dad and some of the stigma and implications about raising money internally as a family. He talked about the lack of diversity that he saw particularly representing the Indian community as he looked as a customer in Sephora and didn't find a brand that he thought represented him. So he wanted to create one himself. He was very open and honest with me about his use of social media, how his brain sometimes misbehaves and how he he manages that. And we talked about the future, bigger and brighter, and what we can expect to see from him. It's incredibly honest, it's incredibly interesting, and he is definitely making waves. So if you are at any stage of your journey and you want to be inspired and educated, have a listen. To kick off, could you tell me what your business is and what the mission of that business is? Yeah, so my my main current business is Fable and Main. It's a modern hair wellness brand that's truly and authentically inspired by our ancient Indian beauty secrets that me and my sister have grown up around. Uh, So it's a sibling founded brand. Um, I think we launched at Sephora from like day one. And I think we, I believe we're the first ever sibling founded beauty brand, which is pretty crazy and probably pretty telling. Like maybe there's a reason for that, but touch wood, it's kind of been an amazing journey and very like 
the perfect duo between me and my sister. So I'm really grateful for that. And beyond just formulating responsibly and creating beautiful hair care products, we also are, um, are committed to helping the wild um, through our tiger conservation and, and in general, big cats. You know, we've expanded it now, not, not just to tigers, but to cheetahs, leopards, anything in the ecosystem that covers the big cat family. So that is our mission, is our face, is our logo, is a tiger. And we also go beyond that to make sure we're actually helping these endangered species. So you went to Imperial College, you studied electric engineering, not the most obvious jump into hair care. Can you tell me a bit more about what you were doing before the idea came about and then how those conversations progressed with your sister to, to getting to the point where you were actually launching a business together? So I started engineering four years. I, I'm a huge mathematician. Physics, you know, physics was like my, my passion growing up. So naturally, engineering was the route I went for. Uh, however, I didn't really enjoy the engineering as much as the isolated subjects during university, like during school, like A-levels, GCSE was a lot easier. You go to university, you're like, wait, this is a whole new game. And I don't know if I want to be spending my whole life coding and soldering and doing all this techie stuff so I was a bit like hmm, a bit confused and uh, I when I was at uni my dad has always been in the beauty industry for 40 years so I have to put that out there so beauty wasn't something so foreign for me I was growing up around fragrances since I was a child at the same time funnily enough my dad studied engineering electrical electronic engineering and went into the beauty industry I didn't even realize this since I until I, my first year at uni then I said wait dad what did you study again um, but he doesn't remember anything so it didn't help me at all in my career in my engineering career um, but then I ended up after I graduated doing the exact same thing as him in some really freaky Friday way and I literally went straight into the beauty industry and my first job was um, I worked in Burberry for a, a few months but then my main like official job as the youngest ever manager was in Estee Lauder working for a hair care brand called Aveda so I my first experience in hair was actually in corporate um, and uh, I loved it I fell in love and it was as you know Aveda is an Ayurvedic inspired brand as well um, and then I kind of got poached by Dior so I moved to Paris after a year of working in Aveda and I worked for Paris in Paris for Dior in the head office for around three years and in all these jobs I was doing in Burberry, Estee and Dior, I was in charge of like, well, doing digital marketing. So whether it's social media at Dior, I was in charge of influence marketing and affiliate marketing. So social commerce data with the engineering, social media with the, the thing I was just growing up around during my university time. That was basically what created my career. And then my sister, while I was in my third year at Dior, very happy, didn't want to move. This was my career. LV Major was my future. She had this idea of a hair, hair wellness brand, mainly a hair oil that um, was very reminiscent of our childhood memories of our grandma who used to come from India, massage these incredible um, like Ayurvedic ingredients and oils into her hair. And while massaging these oils, she would tell us stories. So story time and hair care rituals is what we grew up with. Unfortunately, our grandma, and that year when we had this idea conceived, my, my last grandma uh, passed away. So I've lost all my grandparents and we, we lost trust to our traditions. We were missing them. We wanted to create homage to that. But also we were busy. We were Sephora customers. We were looking at like, why is there none of these ingredients in a very easy to use, ready-made, beautiful product on the shelves of like the Sephora or the Selfridges? Why? And, you know, Indians are known for their hair. So this is like a huge gap in the market, but also it needed um, fill in the market so we went on created the product you know favorite and main because of that story time and hair care rituals and the rest was history i quit my job and we did it together and we launched in sephora day one 
Okay, so that that all sounds like it was quite easy. I'm assuming it wasn't in in practice. When you, I mean, have you always been tenacious and just felt, I'll go on Google, I'll find the buyer, I'll send them it. Of course, it's great. I'll convince them. Was it was it that sort of attitude that got you to there? Because Sephora is uh, one of the biggest, uh, I guess, like shining lights for any business launching in the kind of cosmetics, hair care, beauty industry. But it's also, by virtue of that, probably the most oversubscribed from brands. And there'll be many who aren't picked up by them. So it's definitely not a sort of easy thing to do. Were you were you fearless in the face of that? Were you naive or did you have good contacts? Or what was your sort of practical process to actually getting that listing? No, great question. Um, so definitely just taking a step back into like me as a person, I've definitely never been that tenacious, confident one. Growing up, I was always so shy. was the one like, never wanting to go on stage, never wanted to be in the limelight, never wanted to like ask a question in class. So being a shy kid, studying engineering, it was during my time in university where I started busking. I was a singer back in the day. When I was starting busking, I started getting a bit more confident. This is me on Portobello Road singing on the street. Yeah, you start to get a little bit more out of your show. Then I started to be on a few stages, singing at some weddings and stuff. And I got more confident in myself. And then then I got to translate that to always being around my dad, who's been a CEO of a big company, you know, always in the boardroom meeting. And I used to like always be in his rooms. But when I was younger and more quieter, I was always like listening, but never understanding how to be that. When I got more confident, I started looking at that and say, oh, I see how he's doing it. now. I see why he's doing that. But he's still humble. He's still the quiet. He was also a very quiet, you know, shy kid. But he managed to always have respect as a CEO by realizing it's not always you, you know, you have to sometimes fake it to make it for the better of the company, to even grow, to get out of your shell. So I learned that from him a bit later in life when I actually had my eyes a bit more open. And I started doing that. I started faking it. You know, I don't want to write this email. I don't want to uh, do this presentation, but I'm going to. And I didn't have any shine. Like I, I was very lucky. I didn't have any... I guess you could say lack of contacts when it came to the industry. I've been very fortunate by the people I've been around in my industry at Dior, in my jobs. There's always a way to find a contact. But as a shy kid and someone who really wants to prove concept, I didn't want to use it. I also believe everything's like, you know, you have like a a one-off chance. Don't make it a chance unless you're ready. And we weren't ready at the beginning. So we just had a brand book, a presentation, no samples, nothing. And I spoke to my sister and Nikki was like, no, let's just LinkedIn message the junior hair merchant, not use any of our contacts. Let's just see what they say. Because at that point, we were still figuring it out. We needed some help as well. We LinkedIn messaged them. The junior merchant replied and said, we actually love this concept. This is such a cool name. This brand book is really cool. The creative, the colors are really great. Can you come and present it to us? So will you come to San Francisco? We're like, yeah, we'll come. So we flew. We presented it. They were like, we, we love this. Can you come back in a few months? We'll bring our VP in and can you bring some samples? We're like, yep. We did that. We came back with some samples. And then before you knew it, they were like, okay, vendor agreement. Can we get signing? We want to get exclusivity with you. We want to launch in a big way with you in our next big thing. We believe this is a brand that we've been looking for. So definitely started very organically and very just like DIY messaging. But, you know, many people have tried that, haven't got the response. And I do believe, and I have to be honest, um, taking a step back. And I can say this because it's my sister who really conceived the name and the concept. I'm the executor and the CEO and the businessman. She's the visionary. It's a really good idea. It's a really good name. The products just really have a purpose. And I think that does make, and the brand book was stunning. We spent a lot of time and effort and graphic designers to get an amazing 20 page document. So 
if you have a good name, trademark, good concept, missing gap in the market, good packaging and good design concepts, they will give you the time of day and they will listen to you. And I think that's really important to mention. It's interesting as well, because I think that there's a lot to be said for the fact that you really obviously believed in the product and you really backed it. So although you've learned to fake it when you need to and say yes to things and then go outside and Google it and figure it out, you also ultimately and authentically were there saying, no, this is the shit and you should have it in your store. And I think sometimes people come up with business ideas because they think they should or they think there's an opportunity there. But it's it's very transparent when you're standing in front of people and pitching. You know, that sort of special source really is an authentic commitment. D- did you ever doubt what you were doing or were you just like, we're flying, we're here, we believe it, let's go? I mean, I definitely had doubts during the beginning part of like, um, I would say the doubts would not come from our our internal decisions, me and my sister, because to be honest, we spend a lot of time figuring out our why. And when you figured out your why and your purpose, we already had a three-year plan without even creating a three-year plan. We already knew exactly what products we wanted to make. We could have even imagined an end cap or a gondola with our five shelves for our five types of products. We, we already knew that. We had that already done. And it's honestly, it's still two years later, it was still on track of what we'd done. So we spent the time on that. I think the hard part was like then having a lot more stakeholders as you start going into it because it's no longer me and my sister. We start having our first brand manager. We have our retailer. We have maybe our dad, who's our current investor. You know, all these people. And you have a lot of opinions. So like we were like, sometimes we'd be like, oh, I really like the first version, but three of the people of our stakeholders like the second version. But I still want the first version of that design. You know, that was the hard part was like deciding how to navigate all the different decisions and and really like you know not wrong or right they were all valuable and they all could work um today we could have gone for a tiger or we could have gone for a leopard you know what, what was the decision and what was it you know, it's that was the hard part so i definitely believe like thank god i had my sister on that journey because together we were as we were both inherently clear from day one we were able to speed up some of those issues and just quickly decide because we were like both of you decide we just decide but we did have some moments where, yeah, we didn't see eye to eye. And I think that's when we had to do that uncomfortable thing at the beginning where it was like sitting down with a lawyer, who is the final say, what happens in this situation, shareholders agreement, joint venture agreement. If I'm the CEO, do I have the final validation? You know, And we did that and thank God we did as well because there were moments where it was nearly crumbled and because we had that in place, it saved us. I wanted to ask you about your sister and your family as well, because I meet all different types of business owners, some who had to graft to raise money, some who didn't raise money, some who got family investment. We hear a lot about friends and family investment. I'm interested in whether you think it's been it's there's any stigma with raising money from family and friends. And I know that there's a huge leaning particularly in the media about sort of rags to riches stories and some people feel like people deserve things more if they fight for things and that can be an interesting um an interesting sort of overshadow of hard work if you've got a parent in an industry or you've had a slightly different start I'm interested in whether you ever felt like you would be taken less seriously or if it actually there were some challenges with the way that you 
took investment for the business in the early days. Or, uh, just sort of interested in what, what you think about that as a uh, as a narrative. No, definitely, it's a great, really great question because it is something that I, I wouldn't say, you know, I, would, I wouldn't deny that I have thought about because I'm super aware and very like um, appreciative of like the the benefits I've had growing up and the joys I've had of having a, a father like my dad, who is an incredible entrepreneur that I can go to for advice, um, has been so fortunate to fund our businesses um, without me having to deal with the struggles of fundraising and the time needed for that and dilution at an early stage. So there are certain benefits that I will be forever grateful. And I know my privilege and I acknowledge it. And it definitely has empowered me having that upbringing and made me more, um, yeah, made things, some things a lot easier, but in, in the same way, it shouldn't stop anyone, you know, from undervaluing the other side, because it is for me very isolated. Like I, the work ethic is something that I just have inherently as a person and I love it. And, um, I mean, I don't even know where I got that from sometimes. So, yeah. I wanted to ask about what was happening in the landscape when you launched your business. So, what was happening at the time in terms of how beauty brands, hair care were communicating with customers? You know, what was happening in terms of storefronts, packaging, social media? What was going on that, that led you to then inform the decisions you made about your business? I feel like a mixture of things. There's like industry things where I definitely saw lack of representation of people of color, especially when it comes to hair and understanding the different types of hair needs and concerns i also saw a lack of kind of cultural and ingredient-led hair care brands we saw a lot of like salon professional styling and even like hairstylist brands but um you didn't really see any kind of yeah very ingredient-led brands that you had in skincare in the rise right like you had the incredible glow recipe etc but in hair not as much um and you didn't really see that indian representative South Asian you know brand and I don't mean a, an Indian hair care brand for Indians only but an Indian hair care brand of the incredible Ayurvedic ingredients um, so that was definitely something I was like um, definitely passionate about in like filling that void that I felt very passionate about and I felt close to being of that descent and also close to that with my experience in hair plus the background we had growing up Having said that, I also had my own personal prerogative where, you know, I was in Dior for many years and other companies. And there'll be moments where I was in, you know, meetings um, where definitely I felt that that kind of, um, I guess you could say the Emily in Paris moment of not feeling, you know, either being the only person of color, um, sometimes voicing concerns for things and no one really understanding why, like, you know, we don't have any colored faces of the brand. And that's little, you know, things like that. And I felt it's hard in heritage brands and big brands and working these conglomerates to make a lot of change. But I realized the barriers to entering the beauty industry has completely shifted many years ago. Um, and do I fight, fight, fight to make a company I'm working for be the change I want to see, or do I just create the brand and be the change? And Honestly, thank God I did because look, like now I have every single colleague messaging me, been like, "What? This is insane!" Two years later, what have you built? Um, you, I seen once I saw like a store of Instagram grid of Sephora, and it was like two Fable Main posts within nine posts, and one Dior, and Dior was in between. I was like, "There's more Fable Main than Dior," and like I love my time at Dior. I'm not hating at all. I'm just saying more that like. Yeah, like there are certain brands made for X, heritage and Y. And maybe my mistake was trying to make 
this brand be everything I wanted to see, but it didn't need to be. Maybe I just needed to create my own brand and fill that void that I felt was needed in the industry. That's so vast. It's meant to be for everyone. It should be for everyone. You talk sort of broadly about lack of diversity, both in the businesses and in the way that they represent themselves outwardly. With that in mind, what are some of the challenges that you've faced in your career and how have you gone on to overcome them? I mean, definitely the biggest thing for me was ageism. Um, I say that in the sense of like the man, I, I look young, which doesn't help at this, for this problem, but also I am young as well when I started my career. You know, so starting 22, 21, 22 as a manager, I remember when I signed the contract in my first job, I had people saying, oh, do you mind changing your signature? Like, you're, you shouldn't be a manager. And I'm like, uh, it's in my contract. I signed a, you know, I did it into two, three interviews. Like, what are you talking about? Um, that was a bit, the first experience where I realized, oh, there's company politics. I realized this now, that naivety at a young age. And then it kind of progressed and progressed with things where, you know, I would be in rooms and I'm not going to say the company's names and stuff, but like, you know, they would say, oh, Mexicans are dark enough and I'm the only colored person. I'm like, oh, Nice to hear that. You know, like, honestly, like, some horrible things were said. Then I started realizing, oh, I actually am quite the only diverse person. I'm the only person speaking, you know, not speaking um, French, or I'm the only person of color in this room. And it definitely enlightened me to be, okay, I want to, like, kind of, like, be on the forefront of this industry to change it and really be inclusive. Because you hear these buzzwords, inclusive and this and that. But how can we go away from marketing games to actually reality? We've had a very disruptive couple of years. Businesses have had wins and losses that have been seismic. It's very difficult to talk about being a business owner now without referencing the last few years. Sort of personally and professionally, you know, mentally, uh, what what has the last 18, 24 months been like for you as a business owner responding to COVID-19? So obviously the 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 most obvious is we launched the brand in the pandemic, I mean the beginning of the pandemic. So as a business owner, I only know life as a pandemic-born brand. Having said that, um, you know, we worked on it before and I know brand building before. So I do feel uh, and maybe most people will relate a bit of this and a bit of that. Like I feel some days so incredibly motivated, the best I've ever been, most successful feelings. And then I get days my mental health is the worst it's ever been. I'm crying and I'm like, it's everything's coming down. So I think, uh, and I'm very vocal about that because I don't care if some people are like, Oh, you know, but your issues are not that big as other issues I'm like but I'm crying for me and I'm crying for my issues you know I'm not telling everyone um that you know yours is worse or yours is more more serious or less serious it's just let me feel my why and and I also don't even tell people I keep it to myself because I'm actually pretty good at dealing with it myself because I know it's always in life going to be up and down and I'm not going to be naive to think I'm always going to be happy um because I think there are so many external factors beyond just my internal mindset and my own mental health that will you know, dictate that. And the pandemic was the perfect example of something that I cannot control. Everyone in the world cannot control. It is what it is. And I think for me, the business side was incredible, actually, the pandemic, because our brand was built for at-home rituals, was built for online, D2C, social media, influencers, TikTok. It was like a perfect native brand for this. Salons were closed. So sales have been great and have been booming. And to be honest, can't complain on this. 
take it a step back then the more stresses come when things are well things get out of stock inventory needs to be increased but then there's a global shortage of components supply chain air freight is off the moon costs are skyrocketing hard to find team teams um, want more at-home packages you know everything is a lot harder so then I'm like now having an issue where I have demand and no products and that's another form of me being upset so it's a you, you know there's always um, two sides to everything and I do think personally I've overworked but I don't feel overworked in a negative way because I love working so I just I'm saying it more as just an adjective like I just have overworked myself um and that's absolutely okay um but that has come to a cost of my personal life you know I've been single my whole life and all my friends are now at the age they're getting married and maybe having children and I'm very happy being single, but I would also be very happy in a relationship. So, you know, there's a lot of things at play that I get days where that happiness maybe isn't there. And I'm a bit like, oh, I feel very like all my friends are busy. They're all in relationships and I'm here alone every night. You know, that gets to you, especially during a pandemic. So, yeah, I'd say it's up and down, uh, most mostly ups. But when it's down, it's not fun. But um, it is what it is. And I think everyone hopefully can relate. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like it's these are important conversations because you do have to accept a level of um, pressure and uh, being uncomfortable. And, and it can be good. You, you know, the whole like, oh, some things get diamonds form from stress and whatever pressure. Like there is a sense of like you have to like accept it can be good for your long-term future to get out of a certain way of life a way of mental a way of thinking but but i the number one thing that's helped me the most and you're know, hearing what you were saying here what i'm saying if we take two steps back a lot of it is self-stressed and um self-induced through comparison through sometimes social media through you know because then we'll be like we can compare ourselves to oh I'm working so hard in business, but then my friends are single. Um, I'm single, but my friends are not. But then they're not in a relate. They're not in a business as good as mine. But then we could say, but at the same time, look at this CEO is a billionaire who's happily married with three children, and my business is not as successful as them. But they've got that. It is. It's never ended. And what I've learned, and I, I'm not always good at getting to this state of mind straight away. But when I I find myself ending the day getting to that, is I kind of. Let, like start my day and night similar to the, the birth and death. So you come into this world alone. Um, you'll go to sleep. Really, you'll go to sleep alone. You're not sleeping with someone. You're sleeping with someone next to you, but you're sleeping alone. And you come into this world and you leave this world with no expectations. When you go in your sleep and you, and you leave your sleep, you're also having no expectations. So having this mindset of that reset, being like, okay, you're stressed, but what the hell? Like in the day, like when you die, this is a choice journey and you are choosing everything and take a step back. Why are you upset? Why are you happy? Does it matter? Yes, it does or whatever, but you will leave alone and you'll come alone. So the happiest you should always be is alone and with yourself and your own mind. And once you can master just being with yourself, the rest, the money, the business, the team, the family, the relationship, that's and when you say that's secondary, I have tend to have a lot more stability in my mental health. Um, doesn't mean it's not going to come because I have to go back to this way of thinking because it's easy to forget this way of thinking. But it's so important to. That's why I say I'm so okay with being 
crying one evening and I don't even, I, I might be psychotic because I cry. And then the next day I'll be like, but I know tomorrow I'll be smiling. So it's fine. Do you surround yourself with like-minded people? I guess for people listening to the podcast who are young, who are starting a business, maybe their friends aren't entrepreneurs. Maybe they, you know, their friends don't look like them in the way they've constructed their life, whether they've sort of married or whatever. Do you, have you really deliberately found people who are sort of in a similar space to you so that you have it, it so that it is less lonely definitely I mean definitely more and more I've needed to because I've changed a lot as a human from shyness to university engineering to corporate and entrepreneurial like that leads to a lot of changes of friendship because the people you're attracting are very different um, so I think the majority of what I have now and my closest friends are people who just appreciate, I guess, more so where I am right now, are happy to listen to my entrepreneurial um, stories, the good and the downs of the day, but at the same time are not actually, um, might not be interested, but they're happy to learn and listen. Um, also people who get it and will give good advice. Um, but I have found with everything that people who don't want to listen and don't want to give advice and don't care and, those are the people I'm trying to like shed and there's people who get it but are not very helpful very negative and very competitive and I'm also in a shed so I'm trying to like base it on how I feel and just like just most of my friends somehow my closest are not entrepreneurs and um I sometimes like sometimes I force some of my stories on them like oh today we had this amazing PO they're like oh but I and I think I get close to them when they say okay what is a PO they don't really care if it's a big or bad one they just want to know I feel happier um so I think most of my friends now know even if they don't want to like okay listen to Cash because he likes to talk about this stuff um because he needs to talk about this stuff but then I always ask them back and I think that's the hard part a little bit though with these couple of friends is they don't want to talk about their work. They're like, don't tell me about, I want to talk about my finance job. You know, they're the ones when you say, what do you do for a living? They say, I work in, I work in finance. I wouldn't even say the company's name. And I'm like, okay, it's one of those kind of things, you know? Um, so that's kind of like where, yes, it's hard, but um, I just go by feeling. Yeah. We talked a minute ago about some of the pitfalls of social media comparison. There's always someone sort of better looking, richer, happier than you on online. With that in mind, do you have a good relationship with social media do you think that it's given you a realistic expectation of being an entrepreneur or do you worry that you know the the business trips the lunches the fun stuff sets unrealistic expectations for young entrepreneurs I I did a TED talk on this about mental health social media about dopamine and addiction and internet addiction disorder so I've done I've been speaking about this for a while and I definitely hope many people realize that social media is your choice and you have the ability to control what you see. You can mute stuff. You can not go on it. Um, so I think understanding your mental health before you're consuming and mental health of the moment. Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you what? Before you consume content on social media is very important. But I do believe social media is an amazing place in this world. I think it can grow people, connect people. I've met some of my closest friends today from social media. I'm meeting my future someone's going to live in my flat I have a two-bedroom flat and one of my friends now who I met a few months ago is going to live with me and I met him from Instagram like you know and I, we just DM'd each other like it's crazy so it can be amazing however I personally am having a very good relationship because I am no longer obsessive with it that I used to be and then I didn't have like many years ago I was obsessing about my grid and likes and oh my god I have to get x followers so now I just post I hide all my likes I'm not saying you need to do that to do that but for me 
I just do that. So I just post when I want, don't care what the content is. I might post every day for a week and I might not post for two months. I have no rules. I might open my DMs for a day and I might not for seven days. And I might open seven of them and miss seven of them. And there's just, there's just a mess to it. But that just reflects on my need for it. And I think when you have that mental attitude towards social media, it can't damage you because you're just doing you. And me right now is no expectation, enjoying it when I want, but I don't need to like put these limits and this like expectation of posting and stuff anymore. I did that for a while and now I just use it when I want to use it. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. I, I completely agree with you. I think taking away the expectation of what we should be doing and using it in a way that's enjoyable and consuming things we want to see is the right way to do it. And equally with a business, understanding it's a business and it's a shop window and it's, you know, it's influence and influence has an impact. So, you know, whether it generates new business or people who want to work at your company can discover you more easily, or you can promote products, you know, or promote, you know, if it helps with retailers, I think all of that is a a very sensible, sensible way of looking at it. What's the, uh, what's the most valuable investment that you've made to scale the business? And, And if relevant, where have you wasted money? I think the most valuable investment has been in influencers um, and like, you know, social media and TikTok and stuff like that. That's where we've seen the biggest like ROI and growth of the business. Um, so that goes without saying 100% that. Um, in the market, obviously like investment into like the product and stuff is good. But yeah, from a business, that perspective. Loss, I would say, uh, you know what? we mistakes, but I don't worry about that. We made a lot of mistakes, silly mistakes that have lost money, but I needed, we need those from time to time to grow, to be not perfect, to understand. So next time we don't do it. So I don't really worry. And if it costs me $50,000, a mistake is still, it's, I can't change it. I can only learn from it and get stronger. So that I wouldn't necessarily say is like a, the, the a tangible thing. I would say the tangible thing would probably be like opening up some retailers in some markets preempt and, you know, just rushing. Cause Someone told me recently, I wish I heard this before, don't just take a shiny PO just because it's exciting. Like focus on can you sell through in that region or in that market? Can you give the time to it? Is it going to distract you from growing another market? So when I was hearing that starting my business, I was like, come on, like I'm you can just keep your business in the US. I'll have all my markets from year one. That's fine. And I realize now it can be fine, it can be good, but just make sure you have the priorities set straight and make sure you do, if you can, do it at the right time because you could do it now and do it fine. But what if you waited eight more months, your brand equity, your brand awareness was stronger and you went in at that time at a launch and you negotiated better terms. You negotiated a window at launch if you were going to launch in a big retail space, you know? And you will say, because we're doing this, look at the brand here, look at our sales here, look what we can do. So rushing to launch, you've done it. The market's penetrated. Could you have waited a few months? So that's the thing I think we've lost the money for sure. I think it's really good advice because there's such a desire to grow exponentially and um, you have to have an infrastructure that can deal with that growth. Um, It may well be the piece that you've just given me, but what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given about running a business? The best advice I got from my mom about something more personal, but it's tethered to my, I use it in my business and everywhere. It's always give and never expect anything back. Um, and that has stayed with me to business. I think it's separated me from a lot of potential, you know, businesses or how a CEOs 
because whether, whether it's my team, I always train them, I, I hire them. And I even say from day one, you can go to the next company, but as long as you help me get you the best next job, you know, let me help you. I would give you, I would give you, and don't want anything back. Because I've been blessed to be given a lot in my life, and I just want to keep on the butterfly effect. But um, whether it's your customers, whether it's your stakeholders, your team, your founder, friend, whatever, I'm happy to always give. And I, even advice, I give it endlessly. I don't want anything in return. But also when you do that, you are protecting yourself as well from disappointment or hurt. And you don't want to stop inherently being a giver because the world with a lot of giving is a better world. So that's something that I found with my business. Um, and it stayed with me from a very young age. And why? Because my mom used to be the person who every trip she used to go on holiday, she'd bring another suitcase empty. And just to come back with gifts in that suitcase. And I used to get so annoyed as this kid being like, oh, why are you buying people gifts for people? Buy for me. Why are you buying for those? And I was wondering why. And we had a room in our house which was called a gift cupboard. And she used to always just want to gift people. And when she said, well, I'm giving, I said, but why are you giving? Are you giving for your ego? Are you giving for, like, what do you want in return? She's like, no, I'm giving because I've been given to love and I want to keep on giving. And that was really that stuck to me. And, and, and you can say what you like, but my mom is that. And now I've said, okay, I'll be that in business. Well, you've dedicated a lot of time to philanthropic efforts. I don't know how you find the time, but presumably as a result of the fact that, you know, from your mum specifically, it became a very important part of your leadership style. Have you found it easy to make time to to sort of give back in multiple ways? 100%. I mean, like... I would always make time for it. So when you're so passionate about something, it's very easy to make time and find time because there is time. You just have to find it and cut things out, but there is always a way. Um, so yeah, like when I was, I was, I'm a global guardian for UNICEF and, um, you know, working with Peter for a long time. And now I have my own, and like, you know, NGO, my own initiative. That's like the most rewarding thing of my whole life right now, you know, is that was my legacy that I will continue. My brand, my, my businesses is not my legacy. My businesses are money making for my bigger legacy, which is my charitable initiatives. And for me and my sister, it's purely going to be a lot about wildlife and, and animals. It's just that's as we were born, that's my thing. I'm the happiest when I'm in the wild. I'm happiest when I'm in the animals. Africa, India, wherever in the world, I just need to be making an impact with these amazing creatures. And there's, I think a lot of people can do things in different industries and different um, focuses. Um, But for me, that's all I want to do long-term. But I know I need a lot of money to do because I've been exposed from a young age, doing a lot of charitable work. You want to do a cheetah collar, 30,000 euros. You want to make a, you know, a, a two-sided fence for the cattle so they don't get poached, uh, killed by lions um, or poached by villagers. You've got to have $80,000. You know, all this stuff, I don't have that money and I need to make it. Um, so that's why I'm working so hard. And that's why even for my businesses, I've built a fund around it, but it's separate to the business. So if I ever sell, no one can touch my fund. And it's always me and my sister's owned. So I'm also thinking 10 steps ahead from building the company that I'm not selling it to a conglomerate and they take my charity and they do nothing with it. No, that's me. And that's why not, that's not, we never done 10% of the products go to X and Y. No, it's none of that. It's, we are an education vehicle. We're an awareness vehicle. We'll have moments where people can donate, sure. But all my salary goes to my fund. All my me and my sister's like hard work will end up going there. So you're just supporting a brand that the founders are going to then do a lot of good. And I think for me, that's my way of doing it because I have no expectation on sales to do my goals. It's my goals are me. 
of my charitable work. So that's kind of like, that's always time when you have that passion, you can see how I'm thinking about it. It's like, I could speak for, for days. That's my purpose. Um, and me and my sister's purpose. Yeah. You have an insanely busy diary. You have a busy brain. Do you take time to enjoy the things you're doing? Do you celebrate going into Sephora or Cult Beauty? Do you celebrate, you know, smaller things like just discovery within your business or good feedback? You know, you've got a podcast now. You've got all these additional things going on. Do you find time to appreciate it or is it just a relentless pursuit of what's the next thing? No, like I've always found, I mean, I do like escape rooms once a week. I do like, I go to my friend's house, I play PS5 most nights. Like I have a lot of time for that. Not a lot, like maybe one hour or two hours a day, but I do put time to that. I am a huge like team bonding seller. Like I would do as many like team events in the week as possible, celebratory moments, um, yeah, and people who follow me on Instagram probably see that. Like, they probably like see a lot of fun stuff, and they're like, well, "How the hell are you working?" They tend to think, "When are you working?" And then when I do work, they're like, "When are you having fun?" I'm like, "It's the balance. It's a magician's game." Uh, the main thing is, is you just sleep a bit less. I sleep five or six hours a day. That's the reality. But I can function with six hours, and that's okay. So for me, I'm one of those people that don't need a lot of sleep, and therefore I get a bit more time in the day. You have your own podcast. How do you make sure that you keep learning? Do you listen to other podcasts? Do you read? Do you listen to audiobooks? What What is your exposure to learning? So I'll be honest. I, I'm always real with everything I say. I don't listen to any podcast. I never have really in my life. Just to be except for, the, except for this one, of course. Except, no, yours I actually have because <laughs> when you... And what I like about yours is you released the whole season in one go so it's also very easy for me to like just choose the ones I like um, I have listened to yours I listened to a few beauty ones like just generally just to get some inspiration and the diaries here and a few other ones I do listen but I really tend not to read or listen to many things I am um, um, I but I do honestly um, just learn the most from just speaking to people and listening in person uh, because I need to like sometimes have a communication. I'm someone who learns through communication because if I hear it from a one word approach or a podcast where I can't communicate back or a book, I have some like question marks and I feel like, Oh, I'm not getting the answers. Whereas when I'm with someone, I can be like, so a lot of the time I'll be like, wait, wait, can you just stop for a second? So what exactly is that mean? Like, I know like it's a stupid question, but like, and I'm someone who I do not care about asking stupid questions. Some people are like, are you joking? I'm like, no, like, I know it, but I don't know it. Like, can you explain? Like, my best friend, Tim, like, we literally chat for hours. That's why I love hanging out with him. But little things, like, we had a conversation in the car the other day, and he's like, HDMI. I'm like, yeah. He's like, do you know what it does? I'm like, yeah. Like, well, do you know really what it does? And then we talk about LAN cables and, like, Wi-Fi. And I was like, what does it stand for? And I was, like, learning. Like, I was asking him so many questions. Like, I know this, but I don't really know it. Like, you know it your whole life, but you don't know. So I, I need that communication because I'm not going to read an article about Wi-Fi. That's boring, but I'm going to like talk to someone about it. In terms of productivity, obviously it can be challenging. We we talked a little bit today about the pressures that everyone can feel and kind of wanting to be in a perfect relationship, business, you know, be financially secure, look good, etc. We're all expected to be productive, even though busyness is really a mark of status now. The more you're doing, sort of it's all about maximalism. With that in mind, if you had one extra hour in the day, what would you use it for? Honestly, I would probably work out, like use that for my workout. Because I, I am in, I love working out. I love the endorphins, I love the feelings of it. And I know I'm the best and most confident when I do. 
I just tend to, uh, this year is not, I'm not putting any pressure, it's my intention, but I have weeks where I work out every day and I get weeks where I haven't worked out for three weeks in a row. And I think like if I can say, oh, you get an hour extra day, like it's like a pop-up bonus round. I would just say, okay, now it's no excuse to go to that gym. You have that extra hour. Because often why I don't work out, it's not because I don't want to, I'm lazy. It's just that time element of like, okay, do I go to the gym or do I just get this work done for this meeting? Okay, do the work, you know? And I don't, then when I don't sleep much, I don't want them like sleep an hour less on a very little sleep just to go to the gym. So that's like the hard thing for me. Well, I can't make it happen for you, but I just was interested in what your answer I know. Was. I was like, that's such a mean question. I was like, why can't you just bear it? Like, just have that one. <laughs> but, but no, but, but actually, you probably enlightened me on the fact that the fact that I'm saying that is like, that's an important thing for me to figure out in the day. What's next? What can we expect to see from you? What can we expect to see from the business, you know, for the rest of this year and beyond? So like, I mean, because again, this whole giving thing, I, I really want to help a lot of, and, you know, for my social media, I'm seeing a lot of students, young entrepreneurs or young um, employees or not necessarily young, but people who've been, been there for 20 years, but they want to go into like, building a brand. I want to help those um, be able to do that. And a lot of them just don't have the, the tools and the, the know-how. So I'm building like an academy. It will be like a 10 episode course of how to build a brand in like a year, like the most basic, but it'll have like business plan templates, P&Ls. Um, everything you need to like all share like my best of the best I've spent years figuring it out so I think that's going to help a lot of people to actually just like even if they're not going to do it be interested to know how to do it that's one thing which I think will answer a lot of the questions I get every day which is like how do you do it how do you do it so that's like one and then I definitely want to go more into the investment scene because I want to help a lot of like upcoming brands um, in their career in their future um, as an advisor, as an investor with the money, but also with the connections I have. So like take their brands to phase two. So investing and academy, two new things. And then Fable and Main, of course, just grow it, penetrate it into more markets. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat to me. I, I know that lots of people at all different stages of their business journeys will be really interested to hear a lot of your candid advice. So thank you for taking the time and I, I wish you all the best for the next year. 